Uh, it's great to see you today, and uh, if you're here for the first time, we're really glad that you're here with us, and if you're watching online, um, we're glad that you're with us too, and um, as Paul said at the start of our service, we're starting a new series on John's Gospel this morning, and we'll be studying through this great Gospel um, on and through to, to Easter. I uh, just wanted to say, if, um, if any of you want a bespoke piece of pottery, I am taking commissions. Um, <laughs> So just see me afterwards. Uh, Let's read the Bible together. John uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In the New Testament... There are Bibles around the windowsills, so if if you don't come with a Bible and you'd like to grab one and read along with us, get out your seat, go grab one and uh, and use use those. That's what they're there for, they're for for you to borrow and to to read along with us as we we look at the Bible together in church. So John 1, 1 to 14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. <clears throat> what a great passage of scripture that we're looking at together this morning. And, um, I was watching a property renovation program this week. As someone who is very bad at DIY, I like to watch people that can, <laughs> that can do it. And I was watching uh, this renovation program with Amanda Holden and Alan Carr where they buy a property in Italy and then they do it up or they pretend to while a bunch of professional builders come in and do all the hard work. In one of the scenes after a busy day at work, The two of them sit and watch a beautiful Italian sunset 
while drinking a glass of wine together. And they have the following conversation. Amanda Holden says, I'm not particularly religious, but I definitely have faith in something greater. And I'm a huge believer if you put good out, good comes back. And Alan Carr says, when you look at this view as they look out at the sunset, when you look at this view here, there's got to be something bigger. There's got to be. And Amanda Holden says, well, it's not a bearded man in the sky. It's not someone judging us all the time. I think in life you've got to have belief, even if it's just in yourself. And that was their conversation. I was listening to a podcast the other week, uh, Rob Bryden Interviews, and he was interviewing Charlotte Church of former singing fame and glory. (laughs) And in this podcast, she was speaking of her love of nature and being one with nature. And she was personalizing nature and personifying it. She was saying it kind of has a soul, and she was saying when we cut the grass, the grass dies and it calls out and it cries out. She was expressing quite a few kind of what we would say were kind of new age ideas about the life in the grass and the life in creation and and the womb of nature and, and so on. These two conversations that I've heard on TV and on the radio, they're just kind of the same type of conversations that have been going on down the ages The same kind of ideas that have been repeated again and again and again. Back to the time of the Greek philosophers in biblical times. And the Greek philosophers, they looked at nature, kind of an Alan Carr and Amanda Holden conversation. There's got to be something behind this. There's got to be some reason for it. They would look at nature and they would see a balance to it and a harmony to it. And they would say that there's got to be a reason for it. There's some kind of cosmic order that is at work here. There's some kind of principle or structure. And they called this reason, this purpose, this structure behind nature, behind what they could see. The Greeks called that logos. The logic, the reason, the purpose of life. The logic or the reason behind everything, behind creation, the logos. And for the Greeks, the universe had a logos. A reason, a purpose that, that made sense of life and existence. The same kind of conversations that I'm still hearing today on the radio and on the television. And they said that we need to align ourselves with that reason, with that harmony of nature to make sense of life. But then even amongst the Greek philosophers, there were differences in opinion. So the Stoics, they argued that all that you had to do was, was accept life, that life threw at you what, what it did, and to be kind of, to get through life, to align yourself properly, to get through well, you just had to be stoic. You had to stiff up a lip, take what life throws at you, tough it out, and that, that is kind of the approach to the universe. And then at the other end of the scale in Greek times, there were the Epicureans, and they, they said that really life is all about fun and happiness and contentment and sensuality and you've got to align yourself with that and if you just throw yourself into kind of a hedonistic lifestyle then you'll align yourself with this logos this reason this purpose for the universe and make sense of life and so they kind of wrestled with what it all meant and there are variations of what that looks like but the stoics and the epicureans 
They're still amongst us. They're just called by different names. And then came the earthquake of Christianity and John's gospel. And John says in the opening passage of his account of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, he says there is a logos. There is a reason. There is a purpose behind the universe. But that logos, it's not a cosmic principle or harmony or an impersonal universe. This logos is a person to be known and to be loved. The Logos of the Greeks and the Logos for many people and for Amanda Holden and for Alan Carr and for Charlotte Church, it's kind of this impersonal kind of universe, this cosmos that's out there. But for Christians, for Christianity, for the Gospel, for John, the Logos, translated in our Bibles here as the Word, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Logos and the Word was with God. And the word was God, the Logos. John is saying, get rid of any idea that this is an elite philosophy for those that can achieve these kind of um, elite philosophical views of life. It's not like that. John says, and he makes an earth-shattering claim. He says, in the beginning, echoing the words of Genesis, the origins of life. Where do we come from? Why are we here? And echoing that beginning story, John at the start of the New Testament says, in the beginning was the word, was the logos. He makes this claim that this word, this logos, this logic, this reason, it's a person, a divine person. The word, he says, was with God. And then he says, in, he, was, he was in the beginning with God. And that, this logos, John goes on to say, is God himself, the uncreated divine person. The Word was God. In the beginning, the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. He was a person, but he was God. And that everything, John says, as he looks out at creation, everything that is, everything that exists, Everything that has a beginning came through him, John says. This is stated by John in the positive and the negative. So in the, in the positive, John says, all things were made through him, through this logos, through this word. All things were made through him. And then he says it in the negative. Without him was not anything made that was made. Literally in the Greek it says, Without him came into being not even one thing. There is nothing that exists, John says, that did not find its creation and its beginning and its source and its life in Jesus, the Logos, the reason behind it all. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. And he says that this Logos, this person is the source of life. In him was life, John says, Zoe. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. This answers the question of the Greek philosopher, and it answers the musings of Charlotte Church and Alan Carr. When you look at this view here, 
There must be something bigger. There's got to be. And John says, this Logos is a person, and it's Jesus. The Word, John says in verse 14 of chapter 1, the Word, the Logos, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we, says John, we've seen his glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We've seen him, John says. We've seen this Logos personally in the flesh. Jesus, come to earth. We are his eyewitnesses. Now that is such a bold claim. You can't underestimate what an earthquake of a claim that was in biblical times across Greek culture and philosophy and Roman uh, oppression. What a bold claim to make that this logos, this reason, this purpose you're looking for is a person and it's Jesus Christ. The reason behind it all, behind all of life, the creative power behind it all is not an impersonal cosmic order. It's a person, John says. And he has been here since the beginning and he was with God and he is God and he is Jesus and he has come down to the earth and he has lived among us and we, says John, we've seen his glory. And it is still the bold claim of Christianity today. It counters Michael Jackson's song that we are the world and we are the children and we are the ones that can save ourselves it counters that claim. It counters that humanistic claim that we can fix ourselves. We can sort ourselves out. It counters Charlotte Church's claim that it's just about nature and that life is in nature and some kind of pantheistic kind of God is everywhere in nature and we just worship nature. It counters that claim. It counters Amanda Holden's claim that really there is something and we've got to believe in something, but we might as well believe in ourselves. That's not what Christianity says. That's not what the gospel says. And it is a claim that John made. It is a claim that the gospel makes. It is a claim that Christianity still makes today. And it is one that is widely rejected. And John says in verses 5 to 11, he highlights how it was rejected. The light shines in the darkness. That's Jesus, this light shining in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it or overcome it. There came a man, and he speaks of John. That's a different John to this John. It's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify to that light. And then verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So you see there a rejection of John's claim. John says, this is our bold claim this is who the Logos is. This is the reason for life and the universe. But there are many, many people that do not understand it, that reject it, and do not receive it. And even though Jesus came to his own, they rejected him. They would not receive him. And this rejection carries on to today. And it comes in two ways. There's different translations of John chapter 1, verse 5, depending on which um, version translation you read. If you read the New International Version, it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. If you go back to the King James Version, it says, and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. Didn't understand it. Didn't overcome it. Didn't understand it. And in some ways, the Greek word that is behind that is 
ambiguous in the same way that in the English language we might use the verb to master something. If I master a game of something, if I master someone at a sports event, I beat them, I overcome them. But also if I master a subject, I understand it, I comprehend it. And it's the same kind of in the Greek, whether we use the word comprehend, understand, or overcome, to master. Um, the, Jesus came into the world, but the, and uh, the world could not understand, could not comprehend, but the darkness could not overcome this light. He was in the world, chapter 1, verse 10, 11. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Some people today overtly reject Jesus and the claims of the gospel, the good news of Christianity. They say, it's, I don't believe it, it's not for me, I reject it. I reject Jesus as the meaning, the purpose of life, the creator God. Some people, on the other hand, do not comprehend it. They do not understand it. Just like the people of Jesus' day could not understand him. They couldn't understand when they looked at Jesus and they saw someone that hung out with sinners. They couldn't understand it, the religious leaders of his day. They couldn't understand someone that would hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors and the fringe of society. They could not understand it or comprehend it. Why would you do that? Why would you hang out with sinners? Why would you eat with sinners? Why would you drink with sinners? And some people do not get Jesus. They don't comprehend the gospel of Jesus Christ. And John makes this bold claim about Jesus. He is the word. He is the logos. He is God. He is the reason and the purpose and the creator behind the universe. He is the light and he is the life. And Jesus made the same claims about himself. He stood up in John 14, verse 6, and he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. In John 8, verse 12, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus made these claims about himself boldly. And yet there are some who overtly reject this and, or fail to understand who Jesus is and what it is to follow him. John goes on, however, to answer the objection that is made, the rejection that is offered, and to say that there is a way through to salvation and relationship with Jesus that is open to everyone not a philosophical elite, but open to everyone. And John says, this is the way of the gospel. It's not by works. It's not by effort. It's not by moral superiority. It is through faith in Jesus Christ, the word. It's by grace. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. So John says, first of all, he makes the claim. Then he looks at the objection to the claim and then he looks at a way through this and he says in verses 12 to 13 yet to all who did receive him to those who believed in his name he gave the right 
to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, not of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. John says there are those that didn't reject Jesus. There are those that do receive him and believe in him. And to those people, he gives the right to become children of God. In January 1969, there were only three television channels available. And it was all in black and white. 1969 was the year of On the Buzzes. The first color episode of Coronation Street didn't come until November of that year. So in January 1969, life was bleak. There were no remote controls. If you wanted to change the channel, the three channels, you had to get up and you had to go press the button. And then you had to watch it in black and white. And this is where Ken and Sandra found themselves. In the absence of there being anything on telly on that January evening of 1969, and it being cold and dark and bleak, and this was up north, it was the grim north, a human decision was made. A husband's will was exercised. And without going into the details, I was conceived. <laughs> January 1969. I was born in October of that year. The end of the swinging 60s. And I think obviously, by my flamboyant style and dress sense, you can tell that I am a child of the 60s. <laughs> I was born in October 1969, I was born of natural descent from Ken and Sandra. I was born by human decision in some ways, and a result of a husband's and wife's will. Unfortunately, that husband and wife also thought that Jeffrey would be a great name for a boy. <laughs> Something I've had to live with for the rest of my life. <laughs> there is another birth, says John. That's a natural birth, a human birth, human descent, human will. But there's another birth, John says, a spiritual birth. And he says, when we receive Jesus Christ, when we believe in his name, we are given the right to become children of God. Born, says John, not of natural descent, not of human decision, not of a husband's will or a wife's will, but born of God. Born of God. When you're an employee, your employer looks at your performance, carries out a performance cost benefit, if you're not performing over time or can't provide sufficient benefit, you can lose your job. A parent-child relationship is very different to that. When a child messes up, when a child fails to perform, when a child falls short, 
When a child struggles in life, a parent doesn't love them less. A parent loves them more. They lean in. It's not a cost-benefit relationship. It's not based on performance. It's a covenant relationship. You are my child. I am your father. Or I am your mother. And the amazing thing, says John, is that those that do not reject Jesus, for those that accept his gift of grace and love, to those people, to those individuals, he gives new birth, spiritual birth. He gives them the right to become children of God. This is not moralism. It's not being good enough. It's not fulfilling those requirements. It's not a performance appraisal. This is the gift of God, and it's in response to belief, to open hands and an open heart. I was talking to someone recently in this church who is inquiring about faith, inquiring about Christianity, visiting an Alpha course, seeking God in some form, coming to church, interested, searching. And one of their responses was a response that I think is in many people's lives. The way that they were feeling, I think, expressed what many people feel, was that they were overwhelmed, that they were not good enough, that they couldn't understand it all. They couldn't understand everything that was said from the front. They couldn't understand everything in the Bible. They couldn't understand everything on the Alpha Course. It was all so much. How could they ever meet the standard? How could they ever satisfy their requirements? How could they ever understand or grasp Christianity? And they were struggling. They were struggling with it all in a sense of what they had to do to become a Christian, to be a Christian. And I thought it's so true of so many people, a sense of moralism, a sense of I've got to be good enough. I've got to meet these standards. I've got to follow the rules. I've got to understand the Bible. I've got to say my prayers right. I've got to come to church. I've got to, I've got to get my head around it all. But it's a complete misunderstanding of what the gospel says, of what salvation is, of what Jesus offers. Because no one can measure up. No one can fully grasp or understand. Salvation the gospel is not about what I do, but it's what about Jesus has done. He came and he died and he became flesh and he dwelt amongst us and he rose again. And to those that receive him and to those that believe in him, he gives the right to become children of God. He gives them light and he gives them life. We were in holiday a year or two ago in Yorkshire. And uh, we were in this little village, the village of Reeth in Yorkshire, North Yorkshire. And it was market day. And I was wandering around the market square. I like to go and look at all the market stalls. I like all the food and the drink. And I was wandering around eyeballing the Wensleydale cheese. When I became aware in my peripheral vision of a slight commotion, there were a group of people, there was a group of people approaching and some of them looked quite burly, burly men with earpieces in. And they were walking alongside someone who was in this crowd of people that was walking towards my Wensleydale cheese stall. And as I looked up, there was Rishi Sunak, now the Prime Minister, then 
the Chancellor of the Exchequer. If I tried to approach the Prime Minister or the Chancellor of the Exchequer and his burly bodyguards, I would get short thrift, I'm quite sure. If I ran towards him, I would get tackled in no uncertain order. They would publicly and probably bar my way. I don't have free access. I can't come near. My guess is, on the other hand, if one of Rishi Sunak's children came running towards Rishi Sunak, the burly men would step aside <laughs> with their earpieces. These are his children, after all. They have full and easy access to their father. We sing a lot of songs in popular culture about love, don't we? The Beatles said, all you need is love. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Someone else sang, I want to know what love is. John says, John, this John, in another letter, in a letter he wrote, he said, behold. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. <laughs> I want to know what love is. I want to know what love looks like. And John says, look, behold, I'll tell you what love looks like. Behold, what manner, what kind of love is this? That the God of the universe, the Logos, <laughs> should call us his children with full access to the Father. What John is saying as he opens his account here is there is a Logos. There is a reason. There is a purpose. There is a harmony behind the universe. But it's not impersonal. It's not a philosophical construct. It is a person, it's the word, it's Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning and he was God. He was God himself. And John says he offers you light instead of darkness. And he offers you life instead of death. And he offers you purpose. And he offers you reason. And he offers you relationships. Now there are those, says John, who overtly reject him. And there are those who do not comprehend him or the gospel or the claims of grace. But to those that do, to those that receive him, to those who will put their faith in him and believe in him, he will give new birth. He will give light. He will give life. He will give purpose. He will cause those people to be born again, to have spiritual birth. Born not of natural descent, but born of God. And he will call them his children, giving them full, unlimited access to God. And that was the earthquake that John preached <laughs> to his society. And it is still being preached today. And it is still as much of an earthquake as ever. But it's still the great good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ.
Now, I think there will be people listening to this message today that are just like that lady that was struggling and that continues maybe to struggle with the concept of what it is to be a Christian. But what you need to do today is to put your trust in Jesus Christ, to receive him, to believe in him, and to be called his child. Not because of something you are or something you can do, but because of what Christ has done. Nicky Gumbel of Alpha Fame leads people through a prayer with three words, three kind of hangers to hang the thought of, of coming to Jesus like this. And he says, we can say these simple words, sorry, thank you, and please, sorry. <laughs> Ask God to forgive you for the things you've done wrong and your self-dependence. Thank you, that's what it is, just to receive him, to thank him for dying for you and for me on the cross. And please, please come into my life Please call me your child. Please, I, is accepting his gift and inviting him to come in and live with you by his spirit. I'm going to pray through a prayer now that says those three things. I'm sorry. I thank you. And please. And as I lead you through that prayer, whether online or here in the building, if you want to receive Jesus today, if you want to be called his child, if you want to accept his gift of salvation, even though you might not fully understand everything, you can pray this prayer right now and make it your own and become a child of God. And I'd like to invite you to do that. I'm not asking you to say it out loud. I'm asking you to pray it in your head, to repeat line by line after me. But it's your prayer. It's your prayer from your heart and God hears it. So let's pray. If that's you, then say this prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that today for the first time, I want you to either tell me at the door, I want you to go to the Connect Corner at the end and, and pick up one of our booklets, one of our packs, or to leave your details out, or to come to the front to our newcomers coffee and tell someone there but tell someone me on the door someone at connect corner someone here at the newcomers coffee area and uh, we'll be very happy to talk to you further and to point you towards next steps i'd like to pray with all of us now and for us all to grasp that for those of us who have received him he has given this right to become the children of god Behold what manner of love 
Do you fear for your provision? Do you fear for your job? Do you fear for your finances? Do you fear for your future, your family? You serve a God that loves you so much. You are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter. You have full access to him. Full access. And he loves you so much. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that we have seen, we know what love is. You have shown us what love is. We look today and we see what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. We thank you, Jesus, that you came and dwelt amongst us. You became flesh. You came near. We thank you that we have full access to the Father and everything we need. We thank you that we are not barred. We thank you, God, that it is not what we are or have done, but it is what you have done for us. We receive that gift with faith, and we live in your love and the knowledge of it. Help that to become more and more reality to our hearts and our heads in these coming days, and anything that we are fearful of to place in your hands for perfect love casts out fear. Father, I commit this, your people, us to you, and I thank you for this great gift of salvation and for the reason behind it all, which is the Logos, Jesus Christ, the Word of God. Amen.